about how we've been, being a steward is the fancy word, how we've been governing creation. It's been hard on creation with the decisions that we've made in the way that we live our life. It's been oppressive to creation. Our sin destroys creation's inherent goodness. It says in Genesis chapter one, the very first chapter of the Bible, that when God created the world, it was good. But our decisions have affected that goodness. Let me give you at least uh, three examples. The first is called desertification. You can impress your friends with that. Uh, what it means is that the earth, in many places in the earth, it's, it's moving toward becoming desert-like. And the reason for that is the choices that we've made in, uh, in clear-cutting and logging, and you, if you just hear some of the things right now that are even going on in Brazil and the like, that, um, that we, uh, we make decisions that actually create deserts. It's estimated that one-fifth of the world right now is in danger of becoming a desert because of the choices that we've made. Overhunting would be another example uh, where you, you kill for sport, for the pleasure of it, you kill for more than what you actually need. 23% uh, of all extinctions are because of overhunting. And the one I think that hits closest to home would be the idea of consumerism, where we just, we just consume. And if we have the ability, if we have enough money or enough opportunity, we just see the world as something that we can take advantage of. It's there for our benefit, and we just do with it as we will. It's estimated that um, 1.7 billion people on the earth today would be categorized as being in the consumer class, the class of humanity that's more, that, that consumes more than the rest of the world. And I'm sure you've seen things online that talk about how a very small percent of the world uh, consumes most of what the world produces. Quite sobering. So, given our track record, what is the popular solution to this? Well, it's quite obviously, don't consume. Just don't do that. J just uh, buy less, eat less. It's kind of the three R's. Reduce, reuse, recycle, right? That that's the attitude that we should have. The... Uh, the logic goes something like this. We are, a, uh, we are the deadliest virus that threatens the planet. And so we see, need to somehow pull away from creation. And if we could, the, the more that we could get ourselves out of creation, the less that we would use creation, the better off creation would be. Remember uh, a few years ago, I, I think Canada has been a little bit uh, more on the front of, um, of environmental concerns in the States. And I remember I used to visit Nashville quite often. And uh, I'd visit a friend's place or be in a restaurant and somebody would, what they call a soda can. It's a pop can. But they, uh, you know, they just take the pop can and just throw it in the garbage. And I would watch them do that. And I thought, like I was aghast. It was like you're sinning against the environment with what you're doing. I, it's just been so inbred in us to think this way. Uh, let me give you a few examples of, of kind of where this leads, this idea that the problem is our consumption, our using the earth. Nowadays, they talk about uh, you, don't, you don't own your pet anymore. Those of you who have animals, that's a bad thing. You don't own your pet, you are a pet parent. You're not a pet owner. And what's the idea of this? Well, the idea is 
is that how dare you think that you own another living creature? Well, that's horrible to, to treat that creature in that way. So the best that you can be as a parent, be, be someone who would take care of and nurture and, and, and love that animal. And, uh, and so we have to switch our language off of ownership, which is abusive and controlling, onto being parents. There you go. So I no longer have 11 children, I now have 12. <laughs> An Aussie doodle, a little weird. Anyways, that's okay. Uh, but it gets, it gets, well, we're going to keep going here and see how you feel about this. What do we see in aquariums right now? We see the ban of cetaceans, that you can't have any uh, dolphins or, or killer whales. You can't have animals that are kept in captivity for our personal enjoyment. That is an abuse of them. They have rights and they should not be used in a way that's just about us consuming them for our pleasure. That's wrong. But the logic is the same. We, we consume creation and we're to pull ourselves out of it and not use creation as much for our own enjoyment or needs. Being vegan. Now, I am not talking, <laughs> as the gasp comes across, I am not talking about uh, a choice that you make in your diet for health concerns. I am not, please hear that, I am not talking about that at all. But I am talking about being, being vegan as a ethical or moral choice. And the idea here is that how dare I consume an animal for my purposes and pleasure? Ethically, for many people, that would be considered immoral or sinful, that I would use an animal in such a way as just to benefit me, that it would be sacrificed for my benefit. That's seen as a, as a wrong thing to do. So again, I'm not, we'll talk more about this meat idea in a, in a minute, but, uh, but this is about for ethical reasons. But it goes even farther, uh, even more sobering. If we're creation's deadliest virus, the idea is that we need to reduce overpopulation. That we're the problem with creation, and so we need to reduce population. It's the opposite of Genesis 1.28. Clearly, God didn't know what he was talking about when he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Uh, we took it too seriously. And because of that, it, we're, we're destroying creation. And so some would say that abortion is helpful because it reduces humanity's carbon footprint because we're the problem. How does this line up with scripture? I'd like to read Genesis chapter nine, verse three. Now what's interesting about this verse is that it is uh, God giving to Noah, so we had creation, things were not going well in terms of humanity's behavior. God wipes out all of creation, saves one family, Noah's family, and this is the instructions that God gives to Noah when he starts over all of creation. Imagine starting creation over again. What are you going to tell people in order to get it better this time? Here's what's said. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Okay, that's just... 
what's going on here? So first of all, he says to us, take responsibility for the well-being of the earth. And then he says, eat that which you're supposed to be protecting. That just doesn't make any sense. If I'm going to protect something, I don't eat it. That's the opposite of protection. That what we see in scripture very clearly is that you and I have the right and in a sense are commanded in this covenant to eat everything. I now give you everything. It gets worse. Uh, we have innocent animals. As, the, as, the, as law comes into the people, they, they now need a law because they're not relating very well to God and others. God gives them a law in, in Leviticus 16, uh, sorry, beginning in Leviticus 1, actually. All the way through, are, uh, we are being told to, get this, sacrifice innocent animals because of our sinfulness. So what has this animal done? That we now take an animal, bring it to an altar, cut its throat because we sinned. Well, that's not very ethical, is it? Glad we don't do that anymore. It can offend us. I think it offends me. It can offend us that we consume them in order for us to live. That's offensive. What we're saying to creation is, uh, I deserve to live more than you. So I'm going to eat you, I'm going to consume you, and whatever that looks like, whether it's food or oil or trees or mineral, I'm going to consume you so that I can stay living. That's an offensive thought to the modern mind. Who are we that we should see ourselves in this way? More than that, our consumption of creation is we don't even ask, they don't even have a choice. Romans 8 says that, not by their own will, not by their own decision, we just decided that we would consume you. They didn't even volunteer. Isn't this sobering? So how do we, how do we reconcile these things? How do we look at some scriptures that say protect and care and nurture, and other scriptures that say consume everything? How do we reconcile these things? Uh, let's begin with, the, with, with this thought that consuming is the sin. Uh, biblically, self-sacrifice is an honor. We look at somebody sacrificing for us, and it's an insult and an offense. God looks at the idea of, uh, of sacrifice and says it's a privilege and honor. It's an entirely different way of looking at sacrifice. So from God's perspective, looking at creation, it is the honor of creation to sacrifice itself for the well-being of humanity. 
It's to their honor. It's a dignified death for the well-being of another. More than that, it's an expression of love that I would give up my life for your benefit. It's to my glory that I would do that. But to the modern mind, the opposite is true. Who are we that somebody should die for us? You can see where this is going. Who are we that somebody should die for us? I don't want to be died for. I don't want to die for you, and I don't want you to die for me. This is how Western thinking goes. But we have, of course, in stark contrast to this, Jesus Christ, who in Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you have, as the pinnacle of creation, Jesus dying on behalf of us. While we thoroughly did not deserve it, it was to his honor and glory that he would sacrifice his life for you and I. So this just puts humanity in a shocking position that in order to have spiritual life, Jesus must die for us. In order to have physical life, creation must die for us. What's going on here? Everybody's dying for us. And how do you feel about that? It's to such an honor that we glorify him. It's so beautiful that then scripture commands us to do the same. That we would take up our cross daily and die for him and for his creation. So, if consuming is not our sin, then what is it? Because for sure we've done things that have horribly damaged the earth. So for sure we've done something wrong, and I'm suggesting to you that consuming the earth is not the problem. So what is it? I think it's the word ingratitude. It comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected, means you can consume everything. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Fascinating. Eat away, I have one condition, be grateful. One condition, gratitude. So uh, what if it's true? I mean, this is just a different way of thinking. But what if it's true that we actually rob creation of its glory by not consuming it? That's a different thought. I was, I was, it would be my honor to be consumed and used by you. Now, those of you who are parents, you actually understand that. You don't want your, uh, your six or seven-year-old kid saying, you know, I've been on this earth for a while now, seeing how things work, and uh, uh, I think I want to be independent of you. I don't, I don't need your food. I'll figure out a way to make money. I think I'm good. Like, no kid thinks like that. But we do. 
but it is a parent's, it's to a parent's honor that, uh, that we would lay down our life for our children. My kids are getting older, they're getting to be adults, and so that's a switch. It's, it's hard to keep up with your children changing all the time. But one of the things that's hard for me is if we go to a store and we go shopping, it's really hard for me to not pay. Like, you're thinking, what's your problem? <laughs> that's a good thing. It's called adult children. Uh, for years, it's my honor to pay for my kids. It's what I do. I'm their dad. And nobody else will ever pay for them. I will. It's my privilege of being their dad. It's my honor that I would absorb the cost. Fortunately, I have really grateful kids, all of them. And so that's really great. Do you understand that it's an honor to sacrifice? Is that even built into our culture? I don't know, maybe a mother's love. We rob creation of honor, not through consuming it, but through scorning at sacrifice, through greed and entitlement. The problem is not that we consume. That's not the problem. The problem is the way that we consume. And if we consume in ingratitude, here's what it looks like. It looks like greed. It looks like I didn't get enough from you. I need more from you. I'm not content with what I have. I'll ravage you for personal pleasure and gain. And I'm entitled to it. You don't have a voice. I seem to be get the okay from God, so I just have the right to do with you whatever I would will. It's horrible. And the cost of ingratitude on the planet is obvious. But understand now, the problem is not the consumption of the planet, it's the attitude in which that happens. And when we go with an ungrateful heart, we are never satisfied in our consumption. And it becomes abusive. And it's a horrible crime, one that God will hold us accountable for. Gratitude enables us to hold in tension the idea of being responsible and serving creation, but also needing it in order to survive. <clears throat> I think about uh, First Nations in this regard. And I think I don't ever want to make overstatements, but I think that they have a better understanding of how to relate to creation than many uh, uh, Western minds do. And you probably have, have heard these stories that when somebody, however many decades or hundreds of years ago, whenever somebody in First Nations would kill a buffalo, what would they do? They would thank the buffalo for giving up its life in order that they could live. That's a, that's a noble death. I think we have something to learn there. I think it's also why we say grace. We say grace not out of some, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Which you, it's not a rhyme. It's recognizing with gratitude the sacrifice that was made that we could live. And it's thanking God for his provision, and it's recognizing that uh, creation or bears a cost for our existence and to not take that lightly and to be grateful. So in this covenant 
that we have with creation, it's a mutual pledge. It's a mutual pledge of the receiving and giving of love. This is what it is. And I need to receive from you. I need to receive your laying down of your life for mine. And I will lay down my life for yours. And somehow creation is redeemed through this giving and receiving of love, through this mutual pledge of self-sacrifice that allows honor to flow through all of creation. It's a powerful thought. So I don't take more than I need, and I'm even prayerful about that. And I sacrifice on behalf of creation just as creation has sacrificed on behalf of me. And now we have a love relationship with creation instead of just about consuming what we need. Gratitude changes everything. So in conclusion, how does this all end? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, in keeping with his promise, God promised that creation would be glorified and blessed and no longer under the groan of our sinful decisions, under the pain of those decisions. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What is the uh, redemption of creation is a righteous people who rightly relate to creation. How? Christ's purification of us cleanses, uh, of us cleanses creation of our sin. As we receive Christ's sacrifice, our hearts are cleansed, and that cleansing now enables us to become a blessing to creation, both in our consumption and in our sacrifice, because our hearts have been made new and we're filled with gratitude. What's remarkable, and I think we should be sobered by this this morning, is that God doesn't bless creation by going around us, he wants to go through us. And the way that he goes through us is through Jesus Christ, who purifies our hearts, makes us new, and as we are in Christ, we become the blessing that we're meant to be for creation. But what needs to grip our minds this morning is will we let ourselves be sacrificed for? This is not an easy thought. Instead of taking what we can get and being greedy and stingy, would we let ourselves be sacrificed for? When you think of the work of Jesus Christ, it's described in the Bible as an offense, an offense to our pride. This is, I don't need to be sacrificed for. I didn't do anything that bad. And you know, I don't want to sacrifice for you either. So let's just, let's just all worry about our own thing. Get rid of this whole sacrificial idea. It's offensive. Yet God, in his sovereignty, embedded in creation the need to be sacrificed for and to sacrifice. There's no way around it. And somehow, humanity needs to grab hold of this. And as we work that through in our relationship with creation, we understand how magnificent the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is, who doesn't just give us physical sustenance, but deals with the hunger of our hearts and enables us to live with God for eternity. So we're gonna have communion of those who are, 
who are uh, distributing communion, if you can, uh, if you can do that now. We're going to right now receive communion. Now, it's easy to just have rolling off our tongue the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just easy to just, it's all, we, we do it now and then and once a month and then you can do it on the sides every week and I just take the body. Now you understand the significance that what this represents, go ahead, you can start handing it out. What, uh, what this represents is a body being killed for you and you consuming it in order to live. This is what you're going to be holding in your hands. Is you're going to, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a cracker. It's a piece of meat that has been sacrificed. His body was sacrificed on your behalf and mine. Will you today be able to overcome the offense of that and say with great gratitude and humility, I need this. I need someone to sacrifice for me. I can't do it alone. Will you let that be true as you receive the body broken for you? And then we receive the blood. Now it's interesting, in, uh, uh, actually, it, into Acts, into the New Testament, we are told not to eat the blood of animals. That we can consume some of the animal, not all of the animal. You can't consume the blood. The blood is the holy part of the animal that is meant to describe to you and I not just what we consume, but that blood has to be spilt in order that we live. And it's a reference to the holy blood of the Lord Jesus sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. Not just for our sustenance, but to actually remove the penalty of our sin so that we can be reconciled to God. So there's one condition to receive what you're holding in your hand. There's one condition that the Bible outlines, and it's gratitude. Will you let yourself be grateful, not feel entitled, not feel so guilty you can't, but will you be grateful and receive, and dare I say consume, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the life that you desperately need and can't have outside of him. Gratitude is so important that uh, it's said in God's word that some of you, the Bible says things often in very polite ways. It says that some of you are asleep, meaning you're killed prematurely because you took communion in ingratitude. That's how important the idea of gratitude is when it comes to sacrifice. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, my body, not some figurative uh, existential reality. This is my body 
killed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is Christ's body broken for you. In gratitude, receive his sacrifice for your life. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new relationship in my blood, blood being spilt for you. It's a gory picture. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we look at what's in our hands that is a representation of your life blood. And it's disturbing to think that we should drink that. It's offensive to us. It's offensive to our sensibilities and to our human pride. But we say with great sobriety that we need to drink this blood that we could live. And so with gratitude, it feels like an, an inadequate word, gratitude. But with great thanksgiving and humility and fear, we take this cup and say, we need it. We need it. And so this is Christ's blood shed for you. Take and drink. Mm -hmm.